Reformed Church. We were, we were reading last week uh, from Revelation chapter 2, um, and that was all around uh, the letter to the messenger of the church of Ephesus, right? And we, uh, we establish how the Lord looks upon the hearts, right? Looks upon our hearts, our minds, and he, he knows our thoughts. He, he understands, he sees, um, he's looking, I should say, right, for faith in Christ. He's looking for the knowledge of Jesus in our hearts and in our minds, but, and he sees the things that are askew, right, that need to be corrected in our hearts, and he has such a beautiful gentle way right of correcting our minds and correcting our hearts so that we can know the truth um and the one thing that he brought to the attention of the church of ephesus he said in in verse number four of revelation chapter two he says nevertheless i have this against you he says that you have left your first love remember therefore where you have fallen repent and do the first work so he he was taking them back he wanted their hearts to go back to the truth that saved them, right? The, the reality or the revelation of Jesus Christ and him crucified that saved them. He, he desired their heart to go back to that. He said, I know, I know, you know, the things that you're doing. I know your labor. I know, uh, I know the things that you have done. I know the, how you, you know, you, you don't, um, you haven't put up with those that say that they're apostles and are really not. Um, but but he, he corrected their hearts and he said, you have left your first love. You have forgotten what it is, you know, to basically the commandments of the Lord, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, right? You have forgotten, uh, you have forgotten uh, what initially saved you. And he wanted to bring their hearts back to that. In, in verse number eight, of the same chapter, chapter 2. This is to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? And the, the interesting thing that you'll see here is that, you know, th there are, you know, there, there are a lot of things that happen to people in the church, right? Uh, there are awesome things that we experience in our lives manifestly, and there are things that happen in people's lives that are not good things, right? There are people that suffer, Christians, uh, and we're talking re really right now about the church, right? The, the Christian community, right? There are lots of things that people go through. There are people that suffer. There are people that are uh, martyred for their faith, right? Um, but, you know, if, if, we, if we train ourselves to be people that um, either accept something as reality because you're seeing it happen around you, um, you know, in other words, if, if, you, if you believe that, you know, it's God's will for you to be poor and to not have anything, because, and then you come up with all these excuses as to why that is, you know, that maybe, maybe God doesn't want you to be, you know, filled with vanity or God doesn't want you to, you know, uh, lust after the things of this world. So basically he leaves you in poverty, right? And people do things like that because they, they see poverty around them, right? It's not because the Lord has taught them that he wants them to be poor. It's not because the Lord has ever said that in any way, shape, or form in scripture. It's just that when people are suffering, they need to substantiate why this is happening to me right because if if you know since God is loving and God is so good and these things are happening to me I have to give an excuse I have to justify why I'm going through these things in order to be able to live and abide in them right the, the cool thing about what the Lord has done is that we don't have to try to be people that 
believe that we have to stay in the circumstances that, that we're in, right? There's no, there's no shame for where you are. But the thing is, the Lord has not done everything that he's done so that we think that we have to stay in the circumstance that we're in. In other words, it, it, what, whatever it is that you could be going through today, whether it be physical, mental, or otherwise, right? There, there is, you know, there's nothing that God holds against you because you're suffering. In other words, and you'll see it here, the Lord will correct people's... Um, bad doctrine right in their hearts and minds but god never condemns someone for where they are god never condemns people because they're poor god never condemns people because they're suffering god never condemns someone because they're killed they, they suffer death right i mean none of these things suffering nor poverty nor death none of them are the will of god for us right and that, that's not that's not difficult to understand that God doesn't want me to suffer, that God doesn't want me to die, that God doesn't want me to be poor, that God doesn't want me to be in lack, right? But the thing is, so many times what messes with our minds is that you're seeing it, right? You're seeing it, you're experiencing it. So how do you, how do you reconcile the fact that you're going through something, but yet, right, uh, looking and desiring to know the truth about what is really the will of God for me in that area, right? What you'll see in verse number eight, first and foremost, what the Lord does when he addresses the church, he says, this is who I am, right? And it's interesting because he's writing to the church. So it's almost like, it's almost like he introduces himself to someone that should know him, right? But he says, this is, this is who I am. But in other words, but look at me in this light, to the church of Smyrna, he says, uh, to the angel of the church uh, in Smyrna, write these things. Says uh, these thing, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Now, now those things, I, I know that we could kind of, you know, brush them off because you want to get to the context of what he's writing to the church. But the thing is, it's extremely important what he just said there, right? He he says to them, I am. Like, I want you to know me this way. I want you to understand me this way. I want you to see me this way. I want to reveal myself to you in this manner. I am the first and the last. I am one who was dead, right? And I'm alive, right? I was dead, but I am alive, right? I'm alive forevermore, right? When the Lord says, I am the first and the last, right? In, in the same context, actually, if we jump over to, to chapter 1, of the same book, right? Chapter one, and you look at, um, it's, I guess, the latter part of verse number, let, let's just go to 17 so you can see it. Revelation 1, 17, he says, and uh, this is John, the, the apostle John, he says, and when I saw him, I fell um, at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. He's saying the same thing to, he's saying the exact same thing to uh um, saying, saying the exact same thing to John. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I am alive forevermore. He says, amen. And then he says, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So the Lord presents himself as the one who is the first and the last. He presents himself as he who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So he's revealing to them who he is. Now, why would God do that? Like, why does he, why does he say who he is? Right, right before he's going to begin to desire to minister to the church, right? Because he is, the way that the church knows itself 
is by beholding him. Not by beholding their circumstances. Not by beholding the suffering that they're going through. Not by beholding their problems. God wants to take our eyes and bring our eyes to him. And if we can see him, if we can see him in the right light, if you will, if we, we, if we could see him revealed to our hearts, right, the way he desires to reveal himself to us, right, which, which the Lord promised, right? He said, I will reveal myself to them. I, I'll reveal myself to you. So if, if we go back to verse number, verse number eight of chapter two, he says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. He says, I know your works, right? And we established uh, last week, right? The Lord knows our hearts. He knows our minds, right? He, he, he knows those that have received him. He, he knows those that are tasting of the goodness of God and, and, and have yet to become established in the truth. So he knows exactly where we are in our hearts as far as the knowledge of Christ and the things that need correcting in our hearts. He says, I know, I know your tribulation and poverty but he says, but you are rich. So, so the Lord sees the church, right? And he sees those that live day in and day out in lack, without money, without ability, without being able to have certain basic needs met, right? He sees people that love him, people that believe him, people that believe that he died on the cross for their sins and yet are living in poverty. But despite the fact that these are real people living in real poverty, have no money, maybe no jobs, whatever it is, that, that whatever type of poverty they're suffering from, but they're in poverty, and God tells them, and he corrects their mind, even though you are suffering from poverty, he said, yet what I know about you is that you're rich. First and foremost, he draws attention to himself. And he said, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. In other words, this world, this present world that we live in today has no dominion over me, he says, right? This world has no dominion over me. I am seated above all of it, above any power, any principality, and anything that tries to dominate any person or individual in this world. Jesus says, I'm above it all. And then he says, and then he says, I see you. I see that you're suffering from poverty in this case, right? I see that you're being persecuted. So these are people that are saying, right, that they love the Lord, and yet they're being persecuted for their faith, right? And they're living in poverty. So the Lord corrects me, and, he's, and he just begins by saying, he says, but you are rich, though. See, because I have, I have given you, I have given you everything, right? And, and this is, this is uh, I know that it's not worded the same way, and sometimes, you know, we, we don't see it maybe with the same weight as we do when you read something out of Revelation. But in Ephesians chapter 1, the Lord is really telling the church the same thing. In other words, he's speaking to faithful people. He's, he's speaking to people that, that love him, He's speaking to people that, 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 uh, that love others, right? He's seeing people that are living by, by faith, right? They don't obviously have all knowledge, right? They don't, know, they don't know everything. They don't have full knowledge of Jesus, right? But he's saying in, in Revelation chapter 1, in, in verse number 17, and, and this is obviously Paul writing, but it is by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, right? In other words, this is God saying to the church, he says, he, he wants them to be able to have their eyes open so that they can know how rich they are, right? And these are people not living that out maybe in their lives, right? Not seeing themselves as prosperous people. 
living in actual poverty, right? Day in and day out, living in poverty, but, but the, or living, living, let's say, um, impotent lives, right? In other words, living without any manifestation of the power of God outwardly in their lives. But the Lord says to them, he says that, 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 that the Father of glory may give to you, this is the latter part of verse number 17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, right? He, he was the one that introduced himself to the church and he said, right, I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one that gave all creatures life at the beginning and I am the one that's known today as the last Adam, right? That last Adam, he says, I am a life-giving spirit right now. I gave, Jesus gave life right, to everything at the beginning, and today he is, he is what uh, Scripture calls the last Adam, who, who, that is, he is a life-giving spirit. In other words, he, life comes from the Lord. Life, life comes from Jesus, right, and it is that life that he's put in us, and it is that life that affects every single circumstance in our lives, whether you're living currently right now, presently, sick, right, in pain, with, with, with hurt in your body, right, uh, mental illness, whatever it is that you're dealing with, poverty, lack, real, true lack in your life, right? He, he says that, that, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him so that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Why? So that you would be able to walk in truth, right? Walk in truth. In other words, th- th- there is a deception that we can walk in that having what the Lord is going to describe right now in a second in Ephesians, having the riches of the glory of God in us, having the same inheritance that is of Christ, but that we would, being people that love God, love God, right? Um, Believe in, in, in his finished work on the cross and what it's provided for us and yet still live in poverty and still live sick and still live suffering, still live, live, living persecuted, but not just persecuted by individuals. Not, in other words, not only having people hate you, but then having people hurt you, right? And, and for, for you to know that this is not the will of God for you because you see something occurring in your life does not make it so that because you see it happen to you, then therefore it must be God's will for me, right? But that there is a truth, right? There is a truth, and the truth about who you are and what you have can only ever be found in Jesus Christ, right? The truth of who you are and the truth of what you have can only be found in Jesus. So he prays and he says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened in verse 18, that you may, may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance that's in you, right? What is the exceeding greatness of the power of God that is toward you who believe in me, right? In, in other words, he, he, when he says that, li- listen to this. When, when the Lord says the, the, that you would see the exceeding greatness of his power that is toward you who believe, he's talking to people that believe in him, right, but are not seeing the power of God manifest in their life. So he's saying that you that, you that believe in me, you that already today presently have faith in me and are saved, he says that the eyes of your understanding would be aligned so that you could see the power that is towards you. These are people that believe in God, right? So in other words, the, the thing to establish is that there are thousands and probably millions of believers that love God, right, that, that know the Lord, but that live with all types of suffering going on in their lives. But, but we, we cannot allow the things that you see to be the way that you walk. 
We cannot allow the things that we see to be the way that we walk. In other words, that, that because you see poverty, then you walk in poverty. That because you see sickness, you, what does it look like? What does it look like to walk in poverty? To walk in poverty means that you believe that this is, where, this is your lot in life. This is where I'm going to walk. I am a poor person. Whenever you hear somebody talk about poverty, you raise your hand. That's me. I'm poor, right? Whenever you hear someone talk about sickness and disease, that's me. I identify with poverty. I identify with sickness. I identify with disease. That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a sick person. Oh, you're sick too? Yes, I'm sick too, right? In other words, that the Lord's desire is not for us to walk in that. Right? In other words, you may be going through something, but the desire of God is not for you to walk that way. In other words, not to walk by sight, right? but to walk by faith. In other words, there is a walking by faith, walking, walking in something that you do not see yet, right? Walking in something that you're not seeing physically, but you know here, right? In other words, there is a truth that is in Jesus that is true even when you don't see it in your life. There is a truth about you in Christ that is true even when you don't see it manifest in your life. So in other words, what makes something true is not that you see it. What makes it true is that you see it in Jesus. When Jesus says, I was dead and I am alive, right, we believe in Christ even though we've never seen him. We believe that he is alive forevermore, even though we've never seen him. Therefore, it is so in your life, right? The truth about you, the complete truth about you, will one day, believe me, there is a day of full revelation coming. There is a day of full revelation that does all of the children of God will be fully revealed, all. Whether they believe now fully or not, right? There is a day coming where that all the manifestation that is in us will be seen. But, but that is not when it becomes true. It becomes true now, right? It is, in other words, it is true for us now. And, and what the Lord desires is for our eyes to be open. In other words, for our mind to be able to see the truth that is in Jesus, right? The truth that is in Christ. If we go back to Revelation, going back to Revelation chapter uh, 2 and verse 8. Revelation 2, 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, uh, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So in other words, what he is bringing to our mind is his suffering, right? I suffered, I died for your sin, and I am alive now. Therefore, the life that I have, the glory that I live in today is what I have shared with you. We know that, right, from Scripture, that John 17 talks about the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given them. We know that we have eternal life, right? We know that we have eternal life. <laughs> Let me read this to you. I'm trying to get into, uh, into Revelation 2, but um, 1 John chapter 5, verse number 11, just so that we can see. I, I know that we kind of have established in our heart, right, that we, we know that we have this thing called eternal life, but let me read this to you. Um, and this is the testimony um, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So we have this thing called eternal life. And the only way that we can know what that is, is to behold it in him. Because the life that we have is the life that's in him. Right? So if you can see it in Christ, then you can see it in yourself. Right? Again, I'll read it to you. This is the testimony. And, and it's funny, right? Because... There are people that believe the testimony of men. In other words, what men testify, what men proclaim, 
But there are lots of people that trust men. There are lots of people that don't trust men, but most people have someone that they trust what those people say, right? Whether it be your parents, whether it be a, a, a figure, whether it, whoever it is, that there, there are people that believe in the testimony of men. But the cool thing is the testimony of God or what God says is greater. Greater, in other words, because what God says is always true. Regardless of who you know, you can put your faith in the words of men, but the words of men will fail you at some point, right? But the word of God, in other words, what God testifies and what he says about you is never wrong. It's always 100% correct, right? So when God says to you in your poverty that you are rich, he is right no matter what. He is right no matter what. Why? Because what he says about you is based on, on facts. What he says is based not on what you're suffering that is changeable, right? In other words, today you could be poor, tomorrow you could be rich, right? In other words, manifestly speaking. Today you're sick, tomorrow you can be well. Today you could be in pain, tomorrow you don't have any pain, right? But when God says you're rich, it never fluctuates. In other words, that is unshakable. It, is, it never changes. It is as he said it is today. It's the same way it will be tomorrow, right? So when God says you have life today, you, there are plenty of examples that I can give you. And even in Ephesians, where we were just talking about there, where he says the riches of the glory, right, that you have in you, that you have been given life, right, that you would see the power that is towards you. So all of that speaking of the, the spirit of life that we have in us, so we know that it's ours now. And then you're going to see plenty of examples that I'll read to you in a second, right, that talk about the life that we will have completely. In other words, how we'll see that life completely manifest out of us. So, it's, so what's true? Is it true that we have life now? Or is it true that we're going to have life then? It's true now and later, right? I, every time I said that, you know what I th always thought about? I kept thinking about every single time was there used to be this candy, and I don't even know if they have it now. It used to be called now and laters, right? And, and I don't know exactly why they named it that. It's because maybe you could put it in your mouth now and you'll still have it in your mouth later. I don't know. Maybe they last a long time. But, but you know the cool thing about that is that is how the things of God are. They are now and later, they're not later more powerful than now. They're not more powerful now than they are later. What God has given, he's given. He's done giving. He's put it on the inside of us. He said, it is true of you now and later. If you have ever asked that in your mind, Lord, um, prosperity, is that true, Lord, for me right now, or is it just true later? The answer is it is true now and later, right? Right? The, the uh, prosperity, is it just right now, Lord, but then later we don't have to prosper in heaven? No, it's true now and it's true later. The life that you have right, from God is yours now and it's yours later. Right? It is the same life. Right? In, in, um, he says, and this is the testimony that God has given. So there's a lot of weight behind that. Right? This is what God says. A lot of people may say things to me. My body may be speaking things to me, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of loud mouths in this world, but no one in my mind and in my heart has a bigger mouth than God, right? What he says is what is true, and this is what God says. He says, I have given you eternal life. I have given that to you. I'm not going to give it to you. I have given it to you. And this life that I just described to you that I said I'm, I gave you, I have given it to you in Christ. So, so you can, he qualifies the kind of life that it is. He says the same life that Jesus has, right? And then he says, uh, he who has the son, he who has Christ, has life. So, there is, so in other words, there is no way for you to have Jesus and not have life. If you have life, you have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have life. So that's, that's, that, that's the testimony of God. That's what he says, right? 
He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So, so why, is it that there is, why is it that there are people that suffer in the world without Jesus and there are people that suffer in the world with Jesus? But that's not, that's not the right question, right? The right question really is who has life and who doesn't? Because if you have it, you can partake of it, right? Second Peter says you are a partaker of the divine nature in you. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is not, is not how many Christians suffer and how many non-Christians suffer, or do Christians suffer like non-Christians? No, the point is who has life and who doesn't, right? And he's saying if you have Jesus, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. So that's the dividing thing, right? Someone that does not have Christ cannot experience the life of God. They, they are stuck until they come to accept the salvation that Jesus has provided. They are literally stuck. Their lot in life is what they have and whatever they can make out of it, just themselves, right? Maybe with the help of other people around them, but that, that's all that they have. They just have the power of men, right, working with them. But we that have life, right, now that's a whole different proposition, right? We have the life of God in us. We have the same life that is of Christ, he said there, right? So he, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things, verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he said, I, I, I'm writing this, these things to you because you do believe. So in other words, he said, he's saying, I'm writing this, these things to you because you believe, because you have the Son, and because you have life. So in other words, what he's saying is, I want to remind you. Remember how good it is to be able to come and be in a place like this, to be around, to be in the church, to be surrounded by people that are of, the, 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 of like precious faith, Scripture calls it, right? Which is to say people that believe the truth like you do. People that believe the truth like you do. You know why? So that they can remind you of the same thing. The Lord is saying, I want to remind you of things, these things, not because you don't know them. I want to remind you of them because you do know them. Right? I want to remind you of them because you do have life. I want to remind you of this because you do have my son in you. Right? He says, he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I mean, see, this is the testimony of God to us. Right? He's telling me, you have my life in you. If you have my son, if you believe what I've done, that's why I'm writing to you. That's why I'm saying these things to you, so that you know that you have eternal life and that you may, listen, this is important, that you may continue to believe, that you may continue to believe. In other words, that you not stop short because of what you see manifest in your life, that you not stop short because you, you, you see suffering, that you not stop short because you see people hate you, that you not stop short because you see someone die, that you not stop short because you see people in your very own church being put in prison and being killed. That does not change the truth that is in me, he said. In other words, the testimony that I say, God, is what, this is what he's saying, right? My testimony, the things that I proclaim, are greater than anything you will ever see with your physical eyes. So that's why he says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That's why he says that you never, ever walk by sight, but that you walk by faith. In other words, walk in what I'm testifying of you and not what other people are telling you or not the, 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 the experiences that you're having. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. If you were to see someone in your church, right, be persecuted and hated for their testimony of Jesus, and then you see them be put in prison, and then you see them be killed for their faith, right? Does that 
that, does that nullify all of the truth of Jesus? Does that nullify the life of God in you? Does that nullify that, that that man or that woman could just be raised from the dead? Does that nullify the fact that they didn't even have to die in the first place? Does, in other words, do our experiences nullify the truth of Jesus Christ? Do our experiences nullify what he's done? Do our experiences or our idea or our guilt that Miss Lindsay was praying about, does that nullify the finished work on the cross? Does it nullify the fact that he took your sin because you feel condemned, right? Our experiences are not the things that we want to live by. We want to live, we want our eyes to be enlightened, right, to the finished work of Jesus Christ, to the things that he's done, and not what we're seeing and experiencing in our lives, right? Because you will see things happen, right? You will see things happen, and you can't allow your mind to go with what's going on. You can't allow your mind to go with the circumstance and with the flow and just drag you away with it, right? In, in, um, in verse number 9, well, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. We were in First John chapter 5. Let me just read to you the last little bit of that verse. Verse number 13 says, These things I have written to you, uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So what he's talking about there is for us to persist, right? To continue believing despite the agreement that you have from the world, despite whether the world agrees with what you believe or not, despite if your circumstances are lining up with what the Lord is testifying about, right? He actually tells us, he says, this, this thing that I testify to you, he says, you actually have the testimony inside of you. In other words, the one that is testifying these things lives in you, right? He, he, another name for the Spirit of God in this context is the testimony. You have the testimony in you. So he's not far, right? You don't have to wait to receive this continued guidance and truth, you know, every once in a while as God decides to send you something from heaven, right? But you have the one in you that on a regular, constant basis, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right, he could remind you of the truth, remind you of the truth, despite of how you're getting hammered on the outside of the world, right, by things, right, on the inside, though, he can testify, See, see, there's this little silly thing that we do at our house, and that is, you know, whenever we see, because, um, I, I, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you watch, if you, you could put on, like, I don't know, Wheel of Fortune, or you can watch, be watching, I don't know, Family Feud or something, and, you know, I think they take every commercial that has anything to do with sickness and disease and medication, and they lump it into every single 60 30, 60 second slot that they can in those programs, right? They're, they're, market tar they're target marketing the, the demographic of the people, the age of the people that they think are watching this thing, right? But we have this thing that we do in our house, right? We, we just mute stuff. We mute it. We always, always have our finger on the remote and we mute every single, the minute we hear the, the, anything about a medication, and it's not because we think that, you know, medications are of the devil. It's just that we need to guard our hearts, right? You can't, you can't just allow yourself to constantly be receiving all of this garbage and think, listen, think in our minds, that's okay, that doesn't do anything to me. It, it, that, I'm not bothered by any of that stuff. No, no, there's a reason, there's a difference between not being bothered by something, you just being accustomed to hearing it, because what that means is when your mind and your heart is normalized to it, it's because you think it's normal, 
right? In other words, when you're, when you're used to hearing death and it doesn't sound foreign to you, that means, unfortunately, that it's actually normalized in your mind. This is a normal thing. This is acceptable. This is acceptable, right? The Lord wants to show you what things are acceptable to him. He said doctrine that is apart from Christ, he says he hates it. He hates doctrine that is apart from Christ. He doesn't hate the people that are saying it. He hates the doctrine. He hates the teaching that is saying that he did nothing, right? He hates the teaching that says and testifies Jesus did nothing. Jesus accomplished nothing. He hates that, right? And, in other, and so when you're hearing things from the world, the world doesn't know Jesus, right? So as far as the world is concerned, Jesus did nothing, <laughs> right? As far as the world that we live in is concerned, Jesus did absolutely nothing of value, nothing of value, right? So, so, so but, but we have to be careful, right, not to allow ourselves to allow these things to become normal in our minds, but to allow the truth of Jesus to become normalized in our minds, right? So that when you do hear that stuff, you're like, ooh, that's not good. Somebody shut that thing off, right? Shut it off. Like, it's like, like somebody, it, it's like it, that becomes that becomes the cursing that you don't want to hear, right? Right? And I know this may sound really weird to you. I would rather hear somebody say a four-letter word than me hear somebody say that Jesus did nothing. I would rather hear you curse up a storm. Every curse word you can find, say that instead of saying Jesus did nothing, right? I would rather somebody say, this blinking, blanking disease, I want to get rid of this blinking, blanking that, right? And be all upset at your disease. I'd rather hear that than to hear somebody normalize, normalize death and act like Jesus did nothing. That is more of a disgusting thing to me than just that somebody would curse something. You don't even know. That's even, you know, sometimes people just say stuff like that because that's how they talk. They don't mean to insult you. They just talk. like the, the F word is like part of their vocabulary. They just talk that way. They're not trying to insult you, right? So I would rather accept that, accept that than to allow the things of this world to become normal. In other words, for my heart to have been already conformed to this world, for my heart to already normalize the things that are normal in this world, right? Let, let, let's go back if we can. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 8 again. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, these things says the first and the last. He who was dead and came to life. That's the truth about Jesus. He's alive forevermore. Thank God. And that's the life that he's given us. He says, he says I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. That's a correction right there. You are rich. So if today you're here and you're suffering from poverty or from lack in some area of your life. You can't make your bills on time. Your, your bills are always late. You're tired of not having anything. So good. It's good for you to be tired of not having anything, but it's better for you instead of just being sick and tired because being sick and tired doesn't do a lot for you, right? Being sick and tired. Now, if sick and tired makes you go look for the truth, then that's some good sick and tired, right? But when you're sick and tired, that makes you go look for the truth, and then you hear Jesus say, listen, you know me, and I'm telling you, you are rich, and you have everything that you need on the inside of you to prosper you through anything that you're going through, right? That is the truth about you. And he wants you, he wants your mind to be renewed to that so that that's normal to you. So, so that his truth, what he says to you, he, he who never lies, God who cannot lie, cannot lie. He can't lie if he wanted to, right? He cannot lie. God cannot lie. He says you're rich. 
He says, and I know, I know the blasphemy of those that say that are Jews and are not and are actually a synagogue of Satan, he says. You know what he's saying? He says, I know those that say that they're Jews, but they're actually not. I know how they look. I know, I know what it looks like to see religiosity on the outside, but people that in their heart deny the power of the cross, right? I know what it looks like. He said, but I know the truth. I know the hearts of men, right? He said, I know those who say that they are Christ and are not. I know those who say that they are Jews. And he says, they're actually a synagogue of Satan. He said, in other words, God understands how things appear. He understands how things seem. <laughs> but that, you, you must understand this, right? That is meaningless to the Lord when he knows the truth, right? God knows the truth about you. He knows that you are not poor. He knows that you're well. He knows that you have wellness and health on the inside of you. He knows that you're not a person destined to die from sickness and disease. He knows that because he put the life in you, right? He, the one that put the life in you is the one that's saying, right, you will live and not die, that's the one that put the one that put the life in you is the one that's saying that and proclaiming that about you. Who will you believe? Who will you believe? Right? The people of this world that it to them truth is Christ has done nothing. Will we believe them or will we believe what God Almighty says when he says, "If you have my son, you have life. If you have my son, you 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 will have life." I know the blasphemy of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Listen, th there are people, and understand this, God knows, right? God knows that there could be suffering coming in your future. And he also knows that if you were to change your mind, that suffering changes. Because it's a circumstance, right? Suffering and, 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 and someone killing your body is a circumstance, right? Every single circumstance in this world is subject to change according to what Christ has done. It's just a circumstance. It's changeable, right? J judging by the inconsistency of it that you even see in the world, you can see that it's changeable. It doesn't make it changeable because you see it change in the world, but it is changeable, right? Every circumstance is subject to change. But, but understand, though, the God that you have in you, right, he never changes, he never changes and cannot change. God is the same yesterday, today. Can you hear that? Today and forever. Today, he's the same. Today. Today, he's the same. Not just tomorrow. Today, he's the same. So when God says, there is, you are about to suffer. You're about to suffer. He says, but don't fear those things, right? Don't fear the things that you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. In other words, there, there were some of the church that God is talking to here, right? He said, some of you are actually going to be thrown into prison. He said, but to the collective church, he's saying, right, don't fear those things. Don't fear men. Don't fear persecution. Don't fear hatred. But look at me, he says. He said, I am alive forevermore. I have been set above all principality, power, and dominion in every name that is named. Look at me, not the circumstance. Look at me, right? In our minds, we say, Lord, but how can this be? But so-and-so, but they just died of sickness and disease, Lord, and I'm feeling this. And the doctor told me that, and I looked on the Internet, and I saw this article, and it says that everyone always dies of this thing, and that there's no cure, and there's so many things going on. Like, how can this be, Lord? Then look at me. Right, be single of heart. Look at me. 
Listen to me, hear me, and you'll walk in that truth. In other words, God has never asked us to become educated in the world. Become educated in the basic principles of the world is hazardous to your health, right? Becoming educated in the basic way that the world works is hazardous to your health, right? Because you're talking about a world that is dominated by sin and death, right? Therefore, of course it is harmful to your health, right? If you become educated in the ways of the world, and, and, and I'm, not just, I'm not just talking about like the cursing and all this stupid stuff that people talk about. When the Lord is talking about become, not becoming educated in the ways of the world, it's the basic way the world works, sin and death. He said, I fixed that. I fixed sin and death. You no more have to walk by that because I am not subject to it anymore. And what I have, I have given you. You're no longer subject to it anymore. You're no longer subject to it anymore. He says, um, um, verse number 10 again, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, now let me ask you a question. Does this mean that that's the will of God? Because God preemptively is warning someone, telling them, you're going to suffer, and some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Does that mean that it's the will of God for us to suffer and to be thrown into prison for our faith? Of course not, because that is not what he testifies, right? Listen, people are so confused about, well, what is true and what isn't. Well, what did God say about you? Yes, he proclaimed that there are some people that suffer, but is that who he says you are, and is that what he says you have, right? People suffer in this world just for lack of knowledge. That's it. But lack of knowledge of what? Lack of knowledge of what he says. Lack of knowledge of what God is the one is testifying about, right? Do people suffer? Yes. Do Christians, right, that have the life of God in them have to suffer? Of course not. No. No, don't have to suffer. No, right? Right? But but if we walk in our circumstance. How do you get out of that? How do you get out of a mentality, right, when you're walking in your circumstance? In other words, the way, what you believe is what you're experiencing, right? You're sick, and there's no cure for this thing, so you just got to live with it until you die, and then you'll get relief, right? If you believe, if you live like that, right, you will walk in that. But if you can walk in truth, right, if you can walk in what God says about you instead of what the circumstances dictating to you, right, th- those are two diametrically opposed things, right? So, so different. So, so different. He says, he says you'll have tribulation or you'll be persecuted 10 days. He says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. In verse number 11, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So, so what that last piece there is saying is about the, not be hurt by the second death. There is in Revelation 20, we won't go there for time's sake, right? But there is the Lord, the Lord, uh, the Lord says that, that there are those that have eternal life, right? Those that, that even if they die, right, they will be resurrected, right? They will be resurrected from the dead, and they will receive their heavenly bodies, right? What, what he's saying is that uh, it, those that have, and I just made a little note here for myself, those that have their names written in the book of life, in, in the book of what? In the book of life. Those that have their names written in the book of life, right, will not suffer death, not the first or the second death, right? In other words, don't, don't have to suffer death because we are not subject to it, right? Now, the second death is, 
I believe that's really in reference to the judgment of the devil and his angels and to all that, that do not accept the truth about Jesus, right, and suffer that judgment, the judgment of the devil and his angels, right? But the cool thing to see here is that, that what, what he's telling them is, I see, you in, I see you in the problem that you're in. You're poor. Some of you are being imprisoned, right? Some of you may be martyred for your faith. But he's saying, I want you to know what I say about you and allow the truth that he's proclaiming about you to be that which you walk in, to be that which you believe. Let me show you a couple things here while we close up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 45. He says, and so, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So what spirit is that you have on the inside of you now? The life-giving spirit. So what does the life-giving spirit do on the inside of you? Give you life, right? That's what a life-giving spirit does, gives you life. He gave life at first, right, to all creation. Everything was made by him and for him, right? And he is still the one today, right, that gives us life today. After his resurrection, right, he is still the one today where our life comes from. And he says, um, in verse number 46, he says, however, the spiritual is not first but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, right? The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those that are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. That's us, right? As is the heavenly man, Jesus, so are those that are heavenly. That's us, right? We are born of God, right? Heavenly. Verse number 49 says, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, right? Because we are as he is, and we will also have a body that is like his body. In other words, we'll have a body where life, where it won't be a mortal body, where this, the body needs to be healed, the body needs to be well, the body needs to be maintained, but a heavenly body is a perfect body, right? Perfect. Just like our spirit is perfect, right? Just in the same way that our spirit is perfect, our body will be made perfect as well, right? But the, our mortal body right now needs for the life-giving spirit in us to give life to it, but, but it doesn't change anything, right? Well, how much life could we receive to this body, as much as we, as we need? For how long, right? as long as you need it, right? There's no, there's no limit to how much life, right? It's not like God runs out of batteries or something or, or the power in heaven dims, right? As much power as you need, as much life as your body needs. Verse number 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So, so he talked about first, right, we were talking about how we have, we can receive healing and wellness to our body. Here he's going to talk about how our body will be completely changed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality, right? So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting oh hades where is your victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast, immovable, right? In other words, never never being moved from the truth about Jesus, right? The life that we have is for now, and it is for later. We just read it, right? It is for later also, right? It is for now, and it's also for later. In, in John 14, and I'm just going to keep going, uh, right, to read this few until the end here. John 14, verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. That's talking about when we would have received the Spirit of God. Because I live, you will live also. Our life is tied to his, right? Because he lives, he said, you will live. Because I live, Jesus said, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. Why? Because he's given us his life. If we have the Son, we have life. Because I live, you live also, right? Who, who should our eyes be on again? On Jesus, right? I know it may seem a little extreme to some people. Like, oh, maybe that's something that just pastors do, right? Where they just mute bad commercials. No, no. That is something that an individual that wants to guard their hearts and their minds should do, right? We should be people that are very picky about what we listen to, right? Because what you listen to, right, can be damaging to you, right? What you hear on a regular basis can be harmful to you. So we have to be careful what we listen to, right? We want to listen to truth and not lies, Right? That, that, I mean, that's the thing to understand. Do I, want to, do I want to accept lies or do I just want to receive truth? Well, what is a lie? What is a lie? Just real quick. Well, for you, it's different than the world, right? If, if we're talking about sin and death in the world and we're talking about someone in the world, yeah, they will die. Guaranteed. Check off that box. If they don't accept Jesus, sin and death is, the, is their lot. That's what they got. That's it, right? But now we're talking about what is true or a lie to you, that's easy then. Everything that is according to Christ is true for you. Everything that is contrary to Jesus is a lie to you, right? But, but, but Pastor Jose, but I see it. It's a lie to you, right? Because what you're, what you're saying is I'm not seeing it in him. I'm seeing it in the world. That's a lie. I'm seeing it in him. I'm not seeing it in the world. That's true, Right? Now, if you happen to see something manifest that you have in Christ, you see it manifest, it's true, good. You saw truth manifest. It doesn't become more true because you see it manifest. It was true before you ever saw it come out of you, right? It wasn't meant to be on the inside of it and to stay there, right? But it sure, sure as shooting doesn't become true just when you see it, right? Because that's not how we live, right? That's, that's the way the world lives. I'll believe it when I see it, right? But that's not faith. Faith is not seeing it. Right? When you see it, why do you need faith when you see it? Right? When you see it, it's, it's, it's seen. Right? When you see it, it's seen. Right? Because I live, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. Look at John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have what? Life. And that they may have it abundantly. Right? More abundantly. That we may have what? More abundantly. Life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. But Lord, but I see death. Like, how can it be? I'm, I'm seeing death, Lord, all around me. But I came that you would have life. Right? Do we want to have the life of God? Or do we want to receive and accept and swallow and believe what we see in the world? Right? I want to live by faith, not by sight, Lord. Right? I want to live by faith, Lord, not by sight. I want to live by faith, not by sight. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. 
reign in the life of God through the one Jesus Christ. So if we have the Son, we have life. And if you become a partaker of that life, in other words, you receive the abundance of the grace of God and of the gift of righteousness that he gave you, which is the right to access it, right? If you receive, if you, if you are willing to accept the truth about what you have in you, and you are willing to receive the truth that God has given you access to all of it, you will reign in this world in the life of God. You'll reign in this world in the life of God, right? In other words, above all of it, above all of it. Reigning in life means you're reigning above sickness, right? You're reigning above disease. You're reigning above every circumstance in your life. You reign above it, right? And first and foremost, you will reign in your, in other words, in your mind and in your heart, you will know it first, and then you'll see it, right? But the truth is that you will reign in life. Reign in life. Thank you, Jesus. Let me read one more to you, and then we're going to be done right here. In Luke 10, and verse number 17, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, over all, I give you authority over all, over all the power of the enemy and nothing, nothing, nothing shall by any means, any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you authority over all of the power of the enemy and nothing, not a single solitary thing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, he says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven, which where are they written? In the book of life, right? Our names are written in the book of life. So your name, right, in heaven is recorded in a book in a registrar that says you are of life, right? You have life. So God not only says it, but wrote it, right? In a book that has your name in it that says, I, me, have life. God testifies of that to me. So God, let God be true and every single man that would ever speak against that truth, a liar. Every circumstance in my life that, that feels contrary to that truth, a lie, right? A lie, lie. It's, it's not, not that I, I'm not, I can't feel it happening. Not a lie in that sense, right? In other words, it's a fact that my foot hurts or it's a fact that I have a hangnail or it's a fact that I have a migraine, but that may be a fact. But the truth, though, about you, the truth about you is that you have life, Life that is not just, uh, not just uh, on the same level as death, but a life that overcame death. A life that overcame death, right? A savior, a savior whom death has nothing to do with him, right? Nothing to do with him. Flees. It says, there, there's, he says there's a day coming. It says where, where the earth and, and the heavens flee from him, Right? Flee from him. In other words, listen, there is, we have a Savior. Listen, we have a Savior that has done everything for us in order so that we could have that registration, right? So that we can be citizens of a, of a kingdom with no death. Citizens of a kingdom presently today, 
citizens of a kingdom, right, that doesn't suffer any of the things of this world. So, so when you hear the Lord, listen, when you hear the Lord remind you, and when you, you hear the Lord tell you, he says, he says, you know what, I know, I know, I know the condition of your mind and of your heart, and I know the stuff you're going through. He knows it. He knows it. He said, but let me remind you what I've done. I know what you're going through, but let me remind you what I've done about that, right? Let me remind you what I've done about that. Go back again and remember what, what, set, what, what knowledge saved you. Let me remind you. Let me remind you, not because you don't know it, but the Lord says, but let me remind you because you do know it, right? That, that has been a little bit of a significant thing, and I want to close there and praying for you, right? That we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't receive... Uh, that we would receive correction and we would receive reminders from the Lord in the right way, right? The Lord doesn't remind you and correct you with truth because he wants to put you down in saying that you don't know it. It's all the contrary, right? What the Lord wants to do is lift us up, right? Lift your mind and your heart up so that you can be beholding the right thing right? So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for every single person here, Lord. Thank you, my God, for those that would be watching, Lord, today or in a day to come. Lord, that, that we would be of those, Lord, that desire so much, Lord, for the correction of our hearts, for the reminder, Lord, that comes from you. That we, we are those, Lord, that desire to hear you testifying, Lord. Tell me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Tell me, Lord, who I am by allowing me, Lord, to see who Christ is. Let me see and behold you, Jesus. What do you have right now? What do you have and what condition do you find yourself in, Jesus? Today, right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. I can see the throne of God in heaven and the Son seated at the right hand, but not just at the right hand of anywhere, but at the right hand of power. Jesus being our representative, the one that represents our righteousness in heaven, the one that represents our right to have everything that we have. So we are never questioned in heaven as to why we are worthy to have what we have. But Jesus says, right, he's, he's our representative. He is the one. He is the one that says always, it is because of what I have done that they have what they have. And it's never questioned. Never questioned. Even today, even today, despite anything that you may be going through in your life today, no one in heaven, no one in heaven has a right to question you. No one in heaven has a right to question you to say that you are not rich because they see poverty in your life. God Almighty sees poverty and he says, you are rich. You are rich. He sees sickness and disease and he says, but you are well. And you are healed. You are well and you are healed. You are well and you are healed. He recognizes and sees the pain he recognizes and sees the, the pressure. He recognizes and sees the condition of our physical body. And he is the one that says, I have put on the inside of you life to affect that body. Life to give life to your mortal body. What kind of life, Jesus? The same life that rose from the dead, a beaten up, mutilated body. Life that in glory that infused a mortal, beaten, mutilated body. 
and gave it full life, a body that had lost its blood, its lifeblood, a body that had lost its lifeblood. And you rose it. My Father, you rose the body of Jesus from a grave. It is that life. The life that we have is according to that life. According to that life. Thank you, Jesus. Death has lost all its dominion and all of its say over you. Death has no hold on you, no dominion over you, Jesus, at all. You're above all those things. You have joy, explosive joy you have. A joy that is not dependent on, on, on any external thing, but a joy that is just yours. A joy that is yours. All of those things, my God, that we have just said about you, we have on the inside of us. You, we are beholding our mirror. We're beholding our mirror. A joy, my God, right now. Joy, joy that makes you laugh. Joy that makes you smile. Joy that doesn't run out. Joy that is permanent. Joy that is everlasting. Thank you, my God. Wellness and health, Lord, that is everlasting. Life to our mortal bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Life to our mortal bodies, to our bones, to our spine, to our skull. Life to our mortal bodies, to our back, to our lower back, to our knees. Life to our bodies. Life to our bodies. A strong skeletal system in the name of Jesus. A strong skeletal system in Jesus' name. Uh, um, healed and and new organs in Jesus' name, new livers, Lord. Not livers that are, that are used and decrepit, Lord, but organs, my God, that are fresh and new, fresh and new, hearts and arteries that work as they should, blood that pumps through our body, Lord, with the rhythm, Lord, that it should. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my Lord. Breathing passages, Lord, that are open. Lungs, Lord, that take in air easily, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Jesus. If our limbs, Lord, are not the right size, thank you, Lord. Right-sized, even limbs. A body, Lord, that is aligned, Lord. Health that is heavenly, Lord. Health that is heavenly, Lord, Jesus. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. The things of the kingdom of heaven, wellness and wholeness and wellness affecting a body that is mortal right now in the name of Jesus. Heavenly things affecting mortal bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For mental illness, Lord, and mental problems right now in the name of Jesus, the wisdom and the mind of God is what you have, knowing all things knowing all things and being, to our, being able to articulate all things, being able to speak with the wisdom of heaven, confounding the wise of even this world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right thoughts, Lord. Thoughts that are correct. Thoughts that are, th thoughts that are not all over the place, Father. Not disorganized minds, Lord, but minds that are in order. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for thoughts that are in order, Lord, with the order of heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. 
Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.